Get ready, golf lovers. The boys are teed up and ready to go. Backspin with Larry Canning and Steve Anderson. Thanks to Inside Golf. Hello and welcome to Backspin. My name's Steve Anderson and with me in the studio, thanks to our good friends at Inside Golf, is Larry Canning. Stephen, hello. I'm trying to keep it formal today. I don't know why. Buncey's into us about the way we introduce the program. I yeah. don't know why. He just giggles at random moments. Well, he, the, that's his life. Is he? That's his life, giggling at random moments. Yeah, mm. random moment giggler. And with the COVID-19 situation, it's been getting increasingly difficult for Andrew to giggle at inappropriate moments because he's been at home all the time. There it is. There it goes in the background there. Uh, welcome, Larry. It's good to see you again. It's good to see you too, Stephen, and, and hello, listeners. We're here, of course, thanks to Inside Golf. They've been uh, doing the job in a sterling manner throughout the whole COVID-19 situation, keeping people up to date with what's going on in the world of golf. If you haven't checked out their website, gee, it's good. Oh, it's a beauty. And we're up and running against it. We're publishing August edition will be the next one. Looking so forward to that one. coming out on the very first day of August. We're preparing for it already. In the meantime, let's drive some traffic to insidegolf.com.au for all the good stuff. We're on there. You're on there with your column. How's that going? Um, it's come up two pages, too. 87 now. Richard Fellner. <laughs> Richard he's Fellner. a very wise man. I think Richard's plan is, you know, stop at page 81 <laughs> or something like that. Anyhow, we'll see what happens. What do we got today? We're going to have a chat to a, a great mate of yours and a very, very good golfer. You are a big admirer of his swing. His name is Terry Price. I wrote a column, Steve, which was on page 87 back in April on my five favourite golf swings, and Terry was on that list. It was a fairly celebrated list, Steve, with the likes of Rory McIlroy, Sebi Ballesteros, Kari Webb, and Adam Scott, of course, and Terry Price. The point of the column was just to, I have five people that I love watching their golf swings, whether it be on TV, live is better because you can see the strike, and Terry was one of them. So, so and he's a very intelligent guy, so, and hence we have such a common ground, Steve, Terry and I, because we're both very, very intelligent. Well, you're both professors in your own way. Yes. Has it always been this way with Pricey Swing? Have you always been... Oh, yeah. The yeah. first time you saw him play, you, you thought about that? Yeah, well, he, he changed his swing. I thought his swing was beautiful way back in the in the mid-80s, and he nearly won an Australian Open with that golf swing, and then decided, no, I'm going to change it, and because he didn't perform well in the last round, he felt his swing was sus under pressure. So he, he made a massive change and, and got even better, and he became, a, uh, he became a fader of the golf ball instead of a drawer. But he worked out a way to hit the ball with a fade and still flatten out the flight, still penetrate through wind and, you know, because the fade can balloon up in the air a little bit and be a bit of a soft lander. So he worked at um, going back through old footage of, of old golf swings, how to how to make it work. And it was back in the period where David Ledbetter had changed Nick Faldo's golf swing and, and, and the golf swing changes became famous and we learned a lot about the golf swing during that period. He's got some um, uh, good advice about the way you play the game at whatever level you are. You're very intelligent. Yeah, yeah real like thinker, said, yeah. like yourself, like your good yeah, self. Well, I just, yeah, I don't think I did. I say that about. I did, didn't I? You did say that about just yourself. Reminder, yeah. Speaking of the Australian Open, as you did not that long ago, in reference to Terry Price, we were at the Australian Open. Um, oh, can I tell this story? Or should yeah, I? Well, pretty, should I refer? It's to a this? bit of a wanker, isn't it? It was a bit embarrassing. It was good fun at the time. Yeah. No, no the last time I saw Pricey play live 
was the Australian Open mm-hmm. at which club was it? The Australian. At the Australian. Yep. They had the party the hole. The party hole on the 11th, the par three. It would have been maybe 12 years ago. Mm, yes, it would have been. We were up in the stands. Our sons were sitting just down in front of us. We'd had a beer or two and- Might have had three, I think. Maybe I, I three, think possibly the third four. One. Might have spilled over to four. Most likely five. Yep. And then Pricey appeared on the tee, heading down to the- What, what hole was it? The 11th. The, the 11th, 11th grand. Yeah, the party hole. We burst into a chant. We did, we? We, yeah. It was, it was the worst chant you've ever heard. It was terrible and yeah. it was supported by no one, including our sons. Yeah, and Pricey paid no attention well, to us whatsoever. Yep, yeah. sons were embarrassed. Pretty well everyone in the tent everyone was, was embarrassed. Everyone was yeah. embarrassed, yeah. So we've never told that story to anyone, <laughs> have we? <laughs> but I feel better. I feel good now. Yeah, yeah. It's off oh, our I've chest. I've held that. 12 years I've held that. But we're going to talk with Terry Price about things other than that little incident on the 11th. <laughs> Now, you're going to review a brand new driver from Callaway. It's called the uh, the Callaway Maverick, Steve. It's gaining momentum in uh, on the American Tour. A lot of players are using it. I've got it in my hand, but we'll talk about it later. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a beauty, of course. Callaway don't make too many errors when they come out with a new model. A little bit different look to their other drivers, but yeah, we'll talk about that a bit later on. The golf companies are really, you know, like, it's a comp- like it's a competition. Mm. They're just trying to outdo each other all the time. With driver technology. Mm. I mean, that's what it's all about. That's how they sell their clubs. But it just they just seem to be going ahead all the time. There's always something new. Well, they're finding ways to work within the constraints put down by the RNA and the USGA, Steve. So it's a real art. It is a real science. Yeah. But it's, it's exciting to be on the receiving end of that. Yeah. Now, tip, playing in winter. It sounds like a Catherine Hepburn movie, <laughs> but... <laughs> It's not. It's it's a tip from you about the game of golf in the cooler months. Yes, it is. And it involves some strange things. Slightly different way of thinking. Yeah? Yeah. Really? Yeah, that's it. Okay. I don't want to give too much away because people might turn us off and (laughs) listen to something else. (laughs) Listen to something sensible. And you're going to have a little spit at um, uh, an American golfer who's he's not really one of your favourites, this bloke. He's not one of my favourites, Stephen, no, but I'm trying to like him. And I'm sure there's people that do. His parents, I'm sure, like him. Daniel Berger is the guy's name. He won the first event back after COVID, after the the break. The uh, Charles Schwab? The Charles Schwab. Uh, yeah, Invitational, yes. He won that. You're yeah. not a fan. Well, I'm not really, but I want to be. I'll tell you what, that course is beautiful where that tournament's yeah, played. Isn't it? You know, particularly later in the day at the end of the rounds, absolutely beautiful. Mm. Looking out across the bay there. Yeah, and they're all in pristine condition, these golf courses oh. too, aren't they? Because they haven't been touched for, for months, have they? There was, there was, I can't remember which hole it was, but they're hitting their drives and someone ended up in the rough. So they went a bit right, ended up in the rough, and then they showed the ball in the rough. And it was like most fairways. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they are pristine, yeah. yeah well, it, it, the Grand Coopers, uh, of course, Supers and, and everyone involved in the game in America has just been keeping the golf courses all, all in great shape. And, and of course, with, with so few people playing them, it's a lot easier job to do, but they, they'll they'll get carved up now <laughs> yeah. when the two is now. Because when you went to the end of the week, Steve, you see the divots, now whether there might be a short par four where there's a layup area where most people are playing, and you just see the amount of divots on TV when it seems like it's a two-dimensional view. You know, you're sort of lucky to miss one of those. Yeah. Why aren't people filling their divots in? Have you noticed that on the tour? Why aren't they filling their own divots in? But it's the caddy's responsibility or the player? Oh, the player. Right. He took the divot. Yeah. Put it back in yourself, you lazy 
All right, we'll, we'll, get, on, we'll get on to them. We'll, we'll, we'll send that feedback through on your behalf. Um, COVID-19 is is still playing. I mean, you know, crowds, no crowds, mm-hmm. uh, number one, but now players. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. I know the, the, the Travellers Championship it played a bit of havoc there. Some yeah. players pulled out, I think. Brooks Kepka, his brother, pulled out. Graham McDowell pulled out, and Cameron Champ, who's actually got COVID himself. The other players pulled out because their caddies tested positive to COVID, but Cameron Champ is now the second player to actually have been registered positive with, with COVID. Uh, Nick Watney's the first player back in the heritage of the previous week, yeah. So, it's um, it's a worrying sign. Does it, I mean, it, it, it opens the possibility of going backwards again. Yes, the whole thing it? shuts yeah, down again. Yeah, that's the big fear, and it seems like that's a, even a bigger fear than the, the initial shock that we had with all the people you know getting it, because cause we've taken Taken measures to stop it. Now we're softening the borders, you know, with with all of it. And now it's it's getting a little bit. There's cases coming up in Victoria. We've we've experienced that. The Victoria were on a golf platform. Golf was banned in Victoria for nearly three months, where all most other states were open for golf. And then they opened, and of course they went straight to groups of two. It's, it, there's so many different rules, though, Steve, isn't there? When I go down that Victorian government ruling, I think now that when they opened up their their golf, they had groups of uh, four, and, and and all their other states and still had groups of two. So it was just it's a bizarre thing. I think everyone has a political agenda with it, and, and I know that you know we like to think that we trust all our polis with what's going on, but surely there's agendas behind the, the decisions they're making, Steve. What well, the the way I look at it is forget about the agenda. If you've got an agenda, put it to one side. Well, I, how, how, just can, how can you put it to one side? How and can you not? How can they? You can see it, though, can't you? Do you disagree totally that they? No, have? I don't. I don't disagree that they have, but you've got to put it. You, uh, and you know, it's very hard for some people, particularly in politics, if they've got an agenda, it's really hard for them to put it to one side but what I'm saying is just do it oh, this yeah. is about public health now it, it's it, it goes across all levels whether you're talking about you you average club player who wants to get out and have a game we need to do the right thing you know and and, and take the precautions especially with the, the game of golf where we can do it pretty well you know we should it's exercise we can be socially distanced all those sorts of things it's it's the ideal sort of um, pastime or sport whatever you want to call it for the COVID-19 age but then you take that up to the professional level the game that we watch on TV whether it is golf whether it's rugby league whether it's tennis and you've got idiot boy Djokovic doing what he did Mm. you know We've got to open our eyes up. We've got to be a bit more fair dinkum about it and put all the, uh, the the agendas to one side and just look at the bigger picture. There is word, and it's, um, it, it, I think it's reasonably solid, that the caddies on the on the PGA Tour, there's a, there's a handful of caddies that went out to a nightclub that um, and, and shared. It's such a bubble, the PGA Tour. They have worked so hard, this is the American PGA Tour, to isolate themselves, to put themselves in a total bubble. That they, that, that, you know, no one outside of that bubble can get it. These caddies went outside of that, that yeah. bubble, and there you go. They've worked so right. hard to establish this bubble. Yep, yep. These idiots only think of themselves. What happens? The bubble gets burst. Yeah, absolutely. Just because they can't think about anyone else but themselves. Mm. I'm a bit fired up now. Larry. You are, mate. Yeah, I have fired you up, haven't I? Oh, well, but you know what it's like. You love, like I love turning the TV on and, and seeing mm. professional golf again. Seeing the PGA Tour. I didn't care that there were no spectators there because I'm watching really good mm. golf. Mm. It's it's the same with rugby league. It'll be the same with tennis when when it kicks off again. 
but don't be an idiot and jeopardise it not only for the people who play the sport professionally, but for the people who watch the sport as well. Mm, mm. People like you and me, Larry. Yeah. Well, they're going to they're get they're going to get caught out, aren't they? And pricey at the very. <laughs> if you're not thinking price. of anyone else, think of pricey. Think of pricey. This is Backspin. Thanks to Inside Golf. Check it all out at InsideGolf.com.au. We'll be back with Terry Price. The Backspin interview. Thanks to Inside Golf. Terry Price, welcome to Backspin. Thanks, Steve. And how are you, Larry? <laughs> G'day, Pricey. I'm very fine. Thank you, mate. It's great to have you on our show. We've been trying to get you on for a little while, but it's been sort of prompted by the fact that I did a column in last um, month's, well, the last month that Inside Golf was published which I think was April, I did a wonderful column, I think, Terry, on my favourite five golf swingers in the world, and it was Rory McIlroy, Adam Scott, Seve... I can't remember the fourth one, but Terry Price was there. So I snuck in at the tail end. That's well, nice Larry. I, I put, I put. The, no, that's in reverse order. It actually started with oh, T. Price. Kari Webb was the fifth one. Larry did him in, in alphabetical order, but he's got his own special alphabet <laughs> that he works with. <laughs> so Terry, I was sort of around when you were building that golf swing, just to put the listeners in touch with Terry Price. Terry, you've won tournaments all around the world. You've beaten some of the best players in a period where there were some wonderful players around the world, and you beat a lot of them at times. And it was always with one of the most perfect golf swings I've ever seen but there's a bit of a history to that golf swing because way back in 1980 I think it was five or six you were leading the Australian Open with a totally different golf swing which I thought was very pretty and then you decided because you didn't win that I think you led into the last round during the last round and because you didn't win that I think G Norman might have got over the top of you you decided to change your golf swing and make it even more perfect tell us a bit about that journey with your golf swing Terry can you well Larry that's actually uh, quite insightful really your question and the way you brought that about it was the 87 Australian Open and that's right at Royal Melbourne and the Sunday was cancelled but we had a weather delay with heavy winds and the ball was blowing off the greens and yes and I came back on the Monday and um, I have seen footage of my swing from those times and you're right I think everyone's influenced by the uh, the periods at the time and of course Jack Nicholas and Tom Watson in particular were the dominant players of the era and my swing was was I, I didn't perhaps know enough about it to be honest with you Larry I was I was an accidental golfer. I started off caddying in, in North Queensland. I, golf wasn't really the passion. And uh, and I guess I was always a little inquisitive. I think you have to read yourself sometimes. You know, some players play naturally and don't have any interest in the game as far as technical sides of things go. And my influences were, you know, wanting to get better and perhaps wanting to be the best I could be. And I guess that's where the search for my golf swing sort of started, being just inquisitive as to what was going on. And then not too long after that, of course, the swing revolution through Butch Harmon and in particular David Ledbetter, who, who rebuilt, as you can remember, well, he didn't rebuild Nick Faldo's swing. Nick Faldo rebuilt his own swing with the guidance of David Ledbetter. And I think that that's something that I've tried to bear fruit today in my instruction and helping others is that pupil themselves are the ones that build and improve their golf swings. The, the coaching is purely a guideline and, uh, and help along the way. I think uh, anybody that is coaching in the business and doesn't see themselves as the person behind the player and sees themselves as perhaps more than that probably isn't really doing the player a great justice. So would it be fair to say, Terry, the modern golf swing came from that? I would certainly say that it probably skipped a generation, to be perfectly frank, Larry. If you go back a generation prior to the 80s and you look at the Ben Hogan's and Sam Snead, the modern coaching seems to have taken a leaf out of their books and, and looks very, very much along those lines, of course, with a lot more scientific base now, you know, with 
ground reaction forces and, you know, all the things that are going on with the biomechanical side of the game now. It's a very exciting time in golf. And the young guys and girls are really bearing the fruit and benefit of some very good coaching going on all around the world, in fact. So just leading on from what you said about the golf swings of some of those players like Ben Hogan, that era, is there one fundamental factor that influences the perfection or close to perfection of those swings or is it a combination of things? That's an excellent question, Steve, actually. I think that the common theme through all of that, to be quite frank, is just determination of the person involved. Uh, I think from a coaching perspective, if you've got someone in front of you that's prepared to put in the work, you'll stand there all day because there's just a general enthusiasm coming from that person that wants to get better, the desire to improve, whether it be a boy or a girl. There's some tenacious people out there doing some excellent work now. And, uh, you know, that would be the key ingredient for me is in golf in particular is that fundamental drive to be the best you can be. So mechanically, if there's something that's not quite right in the swing, they're going to work as hard as they can to fix it. That's absolutely correct, you know, and therein flies in the face of the, and, you know, the coaching industry in general is the victim to a lot of the time poor recreational golfers who just want the half hour, 45 minute quick fix. And, you know, it, it, that, that in itself is a difficult situation for many coaches out there because they're trying their best to help a person in a very short period of time when, in fact, I think to build that person into the golfer that they really are trying to be will take quite a bit longer than that. And, um, you know, time poor we are now. And, you know, it, it's tough for the recreational golfer to improve dramatically with that mindset, if you like. There is time, though. I hear this argument, and I've heard it, and I've said it myself for, since I've been a pro, which is longer than you, Pricey. And I'm sorry I've slipped up with Pricey. Did I call you Terry at the start? I, I started with Terry, and now it's got it to Pricey. It doesn't matter what you call me, Larry. I, I it could get worse, mate, depending on how you answer the next few questions. But the average player, yeah, yeah, they, I, I want to win next Saturday's monthly medal, Larry. I'm playing terribly, or Terry, I'm playing horribly, and I can't. I just want to get uh, 36 points next week. What do I do? Well, when I mean, the first thing you would do is just take them straight to the putting range, wouldn't you? Well, the chipping green, just say, well, there's 10 minutes there. Now, I, I guarantee you'll be five shots better off straight there. That is absolutely correct. Get into the things that are achievable first, and then look at the things that perhaps are genetically or age barriers put up second. You know, so if you're trying to drive the ball 300 metres and you're 60 years of age, those two things could perhaps be mutually exclusive. So, you know, being a better bunker player, chipping and putting, you're right, Larry, 100% behind you on that. And I think some course management strategies, you know, would be something that you would look at pruning massive amounts of strokes off the recreational golfer pretty quickly. It's amazing how many mistakes you see, Terry, isn't it, with, with playing with amateurs and, and pro-ams and just simple things that you could just trim five, six shots off without changing a thing. And that's what I try to do at the golf schools that I have. And, and when I'm coaching people is, is to take them out on the golf course well not just the technical side of things but go out there and, and do exactly what you're saying and say well look if you you know current skill sets would provide us an opportunity to perhaps play the hole this way you know Brooks Kepkem or Rory McIlroy might play it that way but our skill sets say well I think we maybe we go this way and we can skin the cap that way yep, and yep, uh, yep. you can get a very very good result from that. Modern equipment Terry how has that changed the way you've taught over the last few years? <laughs> Probably the last um, 10 or 15 I'd say would be the well, big uh, change Great question. I think, you know, if you were to really take a close look at modern equipment, it probably hasn't changed much in the last 20 years. In this century, 
you know, they reigned in the COR, which we could get. It's another, the rebound effect off the club face. We can get into that topic another time. But And they've had the urethane ball probably for the last 15 to 20 years. So yep. I think the equipment, well, in one respect, uh, the driver has definitely got longer, which is, it's now gone from 43 and a half inches to 46 and beyond. So that requires some uh, effort for the, the more challenged uh, athletically to be able to swing that club correctly. It's got a lot lighter. Mm. But I would say... More importantly, uh, if you're looking at what's going on in the world of golf, the athlete has got better. So I think they've got the equipment just about right. I don't agree at all with them trying to rein in the ball or or repair the clubs or any of these sorts of things because if you do it for one, you have to do it for all so Mm -hmm. that it becomes relevant across the board. So giving the professionals a weakened golf ball or whatever, that doesn't sit particularly well with me at all. I think the athletes have got better and, uh, and that's just the way the evolution of the human life is. So what's your argument against the scores and the golf ball travelling as far the golf courses are no longer relevant, which is the other side of that argument, isn't it? Yes, well, I, I don't really see that. A lot of, you know, Colonial was played recently on back on the PGA Tour and, you know, that score wasn't, you know, it was about right, you know, about 14 under or something like that was the winning score. I think that's pretty decent. I think that we have to let these boys and girls, the younger athletes, display how good they are and they are very good now and they work hard. I just think that there's a lot of noise coming from the older fraternity have had their day a little bit and they can't hit the ball as far as these people are hitting it now and they're just better athletes. Let them enjoy their time in the sun. They'll be sitting on their rocking chair soon enough, Larry. <laughs> Terry, did you describe yourself as an accidental golfer earlier in something you said? I, I would say that, Steve. You know, I mean, I didn't really have that passion for it growing up. I was involved in all ball sports you know I'd say cricket footy and I, well, I wasn't a very good cricketer but but certainly football and you know I was in athletics and all sorts of sports you know anything that required chasing a ball I was probably into golf came about through you know it couldn't happen today because golf carts are now involved but you know I was caddying uh, because a friend of mine said to me you know if we go over there and caddy carry the pull the clubs around for those old guys they'll give you a few bucks and a coke and a packet of chips and I said wow well, how long's this been going on so that kind of where it all started and then you know they'd, they'd sort of throw you a few balls and, and get you started and hit and you'd use their clubs as you were caddying and uh, you know it was kind of you know you wouldn't trade it again you know it was great it was great I guess, um, education in the game and you wouldn't trade it for anything. But upon reflection, that was kind of how I got into the game and it'd be nice to see more youngsters getting into the game that way. So when did it become a passion then? I think um, it was born out of the necessity to improve. I, I think a passion was to, was for self-improvement. I sort of just took the philosophy of, of athletics or football. Or, you know, you had to be fit and you had to, you know, have good technique and you had to be disciplined to get the best out of yourself. Now, if the best out of yourself wasn't as good as the best that came out of Greg Norman or somebody, well, you know, that's okay. You can live with that, but you, you had to not be, you know, sort of not turning to every stone to be as good as you could possibly be. Was there someone in the game or maybe even another sport that you really idolised, that you aspired to be as good at in whatever you did? That's really quite an interesting question. Perhaps not in other sports, but I think mentoring was very important for me. I, I, mm. I was Peter Thompson, the great late Peter Thompson really took me under his wing quite a bit when I was younger, heaven knows why, but he helped me out enormously with just, you know, 
educating me quite a bit, you know, saying things like, you know, don't follow a bad shot with a stupid shot, and he'd walk away, you know, or he'd go, you know, now the last round of this tournament at Royal Melbourne hit to the middle of the green and puffed to the corners because he knew the flags would be tucked away. And, you know, just seeing if you were smart enough to understand what he was talking about. And I guess um, he helped a lot of golfers of our era, but, you know, I really took a lot of heed from what he was saying and tried to implement the things that he would mention to me because obviously those guys, and there wasn't just him, you know, you can go through the, you know, the Ted Balls and Billy Dunks and, you know, Bob Shearer and, you know, these sort of guys just educating you all the way along with what they learned in the game and and sort of uh, were quite happy to help you and pass their knowledge on. Let's talk about your playing just for, for a minute. Terry, you played with some of the greatest players the world's ever seen. I believe that you were never intimidated. I, look, my my association with you over the 30 years I've known you, I, I've, you're not one to be intimidated by anyone, but was there someone that did, you were a little bit, wow, this guy's just a bit too good to play with, or was there someone that you'd be drawn with that you didn't want to play with? Not necessarily from a perspective of playing golf with them. I, I was always fascinated, uh, Larry, when I played with the best players to see how they went about their business. I never looked at it as me playing against somebody of a, a greater skill set and, and trying to pit my skills. You know, I remember very distinctly in the sort of late 80s, early 90s when the Palmetto's Cup was on and it was probably the biggest prize money tournament in Australia and, and they brought down some amazing talent from all around the world to play that tournament on the Gold Coast and uh, I was very fortunate to play with some fantastic golfers, the world's best at the time, in fact, you know, during the, that tournament each year. And uh, it exposed me to people like Payne Stewart and Curtis Strange and I say Ioki. And in particular, I remember playing a couple of times with Raymond Floyd, you know, uh, the most fierce competitor that I'd ever sort of uh, run into at the time. And I actually enjoyed his company. I, I just watched and tried to learn and I was perhaps a more of a sponge than anything else and it probably helped me play quite well in the tournament because I didn't expect to win, I didn't expect to go out with the, the philosophy of trying to compete against this person I went out to be have the best seat in the house. I was inside the ropes watching some of the best in the world, you know, ply their craft at the time. What about um, playing in the uh, the Open Championships? Was that a highlight for you? Was that something that through your career you always hoped you'd get to that point? That's great, Steve. I, you know, I, I it was it, it absolutely was, and you know, I, I had several goes at it and didn't get into the to the Open Championship, and it stoked my fires enormously. In fact. My brother, John, was the first in our family to play in the Open Championship. He played at Troon um, in perhaps 83, 84, maybe 85, when Tom Watson won around there. And he played a fantastic round of golf at a golf course called Western Gales. And he hit a magnificent shot on the last hole with a long iron. to hit it to within a couple of inches of the hole for the simplest tap in, got him in. And, you know, it buoyed me to see it. I was so happy for him to to have achieved that. And, um, and go out and, and I watched him play and but it really I didn't get through it at a different venue that day and it really stoked my fires to play well in the event and or to get into the event in particular and then and then later on obviously to play in the event you know I, I was fortunate enough to have a good result there in one of the opens in the early 90s Turnbury 94 <laughs> you know the other price won the event but I perhaps put on my you know from tee to green that week was 
probably one of my best performances and I wish I knew as much about putting as I do now in those days where it was always a bit of a mystery I think the science and the development of the skills of putting have come along enormously in the last 25 years in particular. So did you use that around town after the event the fact that another price had won you know you, you finished you finished in the top 30 but you know. Yes, well, I... There are a couple of prices in the top 30 and you were one of them? <laughs> yeah, no, I couldn't quite get a hold of South African accent or his Zimbabwean accent, but he was a hell of a nice guy. And, and you know, to, I remember distinctly him holding a putt from the back edge of the 17th green for an eagle. Mm. I played the hole less than an hour before. It was one of those more embarrassing moments where I hit a five line about three feet from the hole and I missed my eagle putt. <laughs> You know, oh. just, uh, you know, I would see. If you could have putted, Terry, if you could have putted, mate, is that, <laughs> well, is that, is that, is that how you look back? You know, if I had a full head of hair, I'd be doing <laughs> your job too. So, you, know, you know, you just have to, you have, to, you have to take it on the chin, and, and, and it is what it is, you know. So. Now, Brycey, some weird stuff has happened. I know you're a great yarn teller, and I love getting a couple of reds into you whenever I see you and, and listening to you, but tell our listeners about some of the weird things, strange things, funny things, bizarre things that have happened to you while playing the tour. Larry, the, the list is so long. I know, you know, I know. You know, you, you, uh, you'd have to sort of... <clears throat> I've had many a strange uh, currents both on and off the, off the course, but, you know, a few of the little stories I, the listeners may or may not know, but... A rugby league international from the wrong side of the border, uh, a great friend of ours, Tim Brasher, caddied for me for uh, a few years when I was playing on the European tour and after Tim had retired and some, we had some funny stories. Uh, you know, I remember playing with uh, Colin Montgomery in, in one round, going into the last round we were leading and uh, and we were being announced on the tee and, and Tim was nowhere to be seen. and. <laughs> And um, Colin said to me, where's your caddy? I said, oh, well, I think he's around the place somewhere, Colin. And he said, what's he doing? And I said, well, I think he's over there, Colin. I think we can see him from here. He said, yes, what's he doing? And I said, well, here's to me that he's signing autographs, uh, <laughs> Colin. And I said, um, yes, what? And he go, what's a caddy doing signing autographs? I said, well, I don't know, Colin. You have to ask him when he comes up to the tee. You know, so Tim was a Tim was a great character, or should I say, is a great character, and was a great caddy for me. He he helped me out enormously with being with discipline when you know I was probably a little bit more advanced in my career and probably starting to sort of be a bit settled in my ways. And he pushed me to be better again in my forties, which I really enjoyed. You know, every day when you woke up, you know, how are you? Well, I'm great. There was no other. There was no other mm. word that he would entertain. And um, I do remember specifically the Portuguese Open. We were in the middle of the last fairway and we were having an extremely good day on a very windy golf course in La Panina and on the coast of Portugal. And uh, <clears throat> I'm playing with Soren Hansen, who is a very fine Danish player, yeah. and, and, uh, and Graham McDowell, who's gone on since to win the US Open and is a great player. And I'm standing in the middle of the last fairway and it's past five. And we have um, trouble on the right. There's a water, water on the right and there was a big hollow off to the left bunker in the front of the green and it was a triple tiered green right to the back corner and the flag was um, 38 paces on and uh, four yards from the right hand edge of the green right next to the water and I said to Tim what do you think and he said well you've got 200 yards to the front and you've got 38 to the flag for a total of 238 and you need oh, I think you should just get a four iron in the middle of the green and uh, well two putt we're already seven under for the day and I think that might be good enough to win and I said well you know I think the wind is coming off the right I think I can hit a three iron and I'll hold the ball up against the wind I'll hit a low one and I'll run it up the back onto the back here and I'll get the ball right down near the hole it's a bit risky but 
you know, I think I can play the shot. You know, we can eagle this hole and we'll lock the win away. And uh, the other two boys are listening to this conversation from the middle of the fairway with their caddies. And Tim turns to me and gives me some of the greatest advice I've ever had in my life. He draws the three iron out of the bag instead of the four iron, which he chose, and said, Righto, Queenslander, you guys talk up a good story all the time. Show me what you've got. <laughs> and, of course, then it became nothing to do with golf, nothing to do with the, with the 72nd hole of the Portugal Open, nothing to do with anything except righto, pal. State of origin. Iron. It was all about state of origin. And, uh, you know... It went on that, you know, I, I hit the shot up on the green and uh, I was fortunate enough, I'll go through it, because he, I hit the shot exactly the way I wanted to and it ran up onto the back corner and it finished about oh, nine inches from the hole. Oh. And uh, <clears throat> I handed the three iron back to Tim as he handed me the putter and I didn't say a word and he just said, bloody Queenslanders. And then <laughs> they just kept walking up to the green, you know. But it was a great embrace, which you're not allowed to do, of course, now after I hold the, the eagle putt. But what it showed me was that sportsmen, no matter what walk of life they are, rugby league, cricket, golf, the mindset is always the way Tim was explaining that, you know. And the reason he loved caddying for me was that he enjoyed the competitive environment and he was missing that after his football days were over. It was a great lesson learned for me and I think it's something that, you know, you can talk technically about the golf swing all you like, but I think that's the real essence of playing golf and having fun in the game of golf. He was a hell of a footballer too, and let's hope that state-against-state-mate-against-mate rivalry never, ever dies, Pricey. No, you're right, Steve, and um, you know, I, I remember once he offered me one of his state-of-origin jerseys. <laughs> uh, thank you for... Um, and you, you, thank you. you snapped and it up. Said, well, you I couldn't believe it. Would, would you like me to uh, change the oil in the car with it? <laughs> <laughs> then he realised and he said, well, I'll give you one of my kangaroo jerseys, so that's obviously has pride of place, you know. So we had a lot of fun together. Uh, I could tell you a few other yarns, but we don't have time for them today, I guess. We'll get you on another time. We might do the price files, eh? What do you yeah, think? Yeah, we'll get to the whole series. Sure. There you go. Mate, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk uh, with you. Best wishes and thanks for your time. And I hope all your listeners are enduring the lockdown and um, golf should be back up and going again. And look forward to seeing all your listeners at some point on the golf course somewhere on the Legends Tour or around the tours or uh, indeed just at club golf level. Good on you, Pricey. Thanks again, mate. Thanks, boys. Thanks to Inside Golf. This is Backspin with Larry Canning and Steve Anderson. Larry, uh, you've got some new gear in the studio. You always bring stuff into the studio when you do these reviews of new clubs, but no one can see them. <laughs> well, I just like to have it with me, Steve. When I'm talking about it, I want to have it in my hand. I can see it. I've got to say, it's a, a great-looking driver. It's the new or reasonably new Maverick from Callaway. Yeah, the Maverick has replaced the Rogue uh, series, Steve. A lot of tour players I'm seeing using them. I mean, you can see the difference when the tour players are swinging it because it has orange on the bottom as opposed to the other colours uh, the Rogue has. Z- Xander Schofel uses one, I think, doesn't Chauflet. he? Chauflet. Yes. Is that how you say it? G- Xander Chauflet. Oh, okay. It does sound like a really nice, expensive dessert in a restaurant, doesn't it? Does, it does, yeah. His golf swing is uh, similar to an expensive dessert, sweet and beautiful to watch and, and eat. Not that I've eaten a golf swing, but I'm talking absolute gibbonest. Get on with it, Larry, get on with the review. Well, it, it's I've tried it, I've hit it, and um, and I've got to say, the first thing I noticed, Steve, it is sound, the sound it makes. 
It is the sweetest, nicest sounding driver I've ever hit. And and I've got to say, I've had some absolute rippers in the past. And um, I know Taylor made have a model that sounds really nice. But I, I've hit this, this Maverick. It's probably a, a pointless exercise sound. I mean, it means nothing other than I just want to keep hitting it. And, and I miss hit a few, as you can see. And uh, still got a really nice sound out of it. But what is that sound? What? Oh, it's, it's kind of a, a, a semi-muted metal on ball. You know, you're hitting it hard but it's not like a, a, a tinny sound like a like the hollow hitting it with a tin can type of sound it's just a really nice loud but semi-muted so it's a, a <laughs> i can't do any describe a sound i don't know it's a thud is it it's a really nice thud yeah okay the feature steve of the maverick is they've changed the sole design for aerodynamics they've moved the old sole and the rogue was kind of a, a flat from the from the if you're looking like i am at the club and like you're looking and the listeners are trying to work out what I'm talking about. From the front leading edge, the sole went pretty well directly straight back parallel from, right. the, from the face and the old model. This one doesn't. This one, it doesn't. It sweeps under. And I know the aerodynamics are something that, that Callaway have been very conscious of, that, that the golf clubs have got that big, that you, to be able to swing them through the air, they've actually got to be designed so that they can flow through the air freely and not be restricted by little pieces hanging off here and there. So I love the look of that. The face is a beautiful looking thing. It's got lots of lines on it. But I think the playability of it, Steve, is only so much you can talk about how it looks. I found it quite easy to you're, hit. You're doing a pretty good job, though. <laughs> I found it quite easy to hit. I couldn't work out whether it was going further. I think it might have been. And there's lots of adjustability in the neck. You can see there's there's three yep. little sleeve things there, so you can have a fiddle with that. Make sure you get good advice, though, before you start fiddling with the adjustments. It doesn't have any sliding weights on the back. There are three models. One of them does have a, a two weights in the back. You can adjust the weighting. But, yeah, there's no sliding, no moving weights, which is interesting, again, because that was the, the big call from... A lot of the companies for a long time. So do you think that, that moving you think that might be on the way out? Yeah, well, there's another company that still has it. Uh, you know, probably the direct competitor to, to well, it's it's TaylorMade, isn't it? The d- direct driver competitor to to Callaway would be TaylorMade. Ping and Titleist are very very close. There's not much in the floor of them. I'm looking at this club and looking at the sweeping nature of the the sole, as yep. you you say. Now, does that mean that aerodynamically, by the time the club, you know, you backswing, by the time the club contacts with the ball? In theory, because of the aerodynamics, it's going to be the, the club head's going to be going a bit faster. That's the theory, yes. Without yes. losing control that you might otherwise lose as a you know regular yes. player who tries to hit it a million miles. We always have to be conscious of not trying to hit the ball too hard. Allow the centrifugal force to create the speed of your body moving, your hands releasing the golf club at the right point. If it's aerodynamically passing through the air a little quicker, a little conscious of not getting the club to the ball too soon. And also if the club head gets too light, and there are some yeah. brands that have very, very light golf clubs, you've got to be careful you don't get the, the, the... If the club head gets to the ball before you're ready, it'll just you'll pull it straight left with a shut face. So it's suitable for everyone? Yes, yes. There, there are three models, as I said. And Google the model, and it'll talk you through all the, the specs of the three different brands. I went for the middle one, and I went for the stiff shaft, and I didn't find it overly stiff, Steve, which is good news. I, I had the rogue shaft in mind, the one I tried from Aldilla. 60 grams, and it was stiff. And some of the stiff shafts can be... A bit too stiff for me because I'm at my my aging golf swing speed, but this one I found nice. So there was obviously other shaft options, and again, talk to your pro. But if the standard shaft is the one that you pick, and this is the standard shaft, if you're a stronger hitter than me, you mightn't have to go to something else. So, but that wasn't too stiff for you. Not for me. Yeah, my no. swing speed's about ninety, <laughs> just under. Well, it's actually one hundred, Steve. Can you say stiff for me one more time? No, I'm not going to say that ever again to you. Because I think you just broke the again. record for saying stiff in the most number of times oh, in I'm a sorry. sentence. It's a great looking club when you search it, Maverick without the E. 
Remember yes, that, too. Yes. Who would have thought of that? Jeez, that's anal. No, well, you know, people mm. are searching these things. Drop the E. I don't know why Callaway dropped the E. Anyhow. And it's got jailbreak in it, too. So I should just add to that. The two jailbreak oh, bras, it goes with the, the face. Which love the jailbreak. They keep the, the, the top of the head and the bottom and the sole uh, tighter, close together, so that the expansion of the face is, is directly in and out, not upward as well. I want to give that a hit. It's a great-looking glove. I found it really easy to hit. Yeah. I hit a lot of bad swings, made a lot of bad swings. They, they took a similar flight. Did I ever tell you about the time I took a bad swing? Anyway, look at the time. Wow. He's only here to help the world play better golf. So settle back and enjoy this tasty tip from Larry Canning on Backspin. Thanks to Inside Golf. Larry, golf in reasonably warm weather, I find, is more fun than golf in cold weather. What about you? Yeah, I definitely agree with that, Steve, yes. It, playing in the winter does have its challenges, but there are ways you can um, you can improve your scoring and, and your playing if you give a bit of thought to your club selections and what you do with your golf ball. So it, it does make that much of a difference. Yeah, it definitely does. Yeah. I mean, I live in the Southern Highlands, so it's pretty cool and even frosty sometimes when, when you're hitting off there. So the golf ball is going to travel less. It's going to compress less. If you're playing early, I would strongly suggest you look at the type of golf ball that you use. You might want to go to a softer compression, softer core. The spin on the ball gets taken off somewhat because of the dew and the frost and the, and the dampness on the green. So normally in summer, when the ball is warm and also when you, it's, it's hitting a green, it'll dig into the green and take some spin. The first bounce will go forward and then it'll start to spin if it's, if it's properly hit. In winter, you'll find the ball will skid. The, 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 there's no resistance to the ball spinning in the green because there's moisture there. So it's Skids. So if, if you're wondering whether you should be using a, a spinning ball in winter, no. I would suggest a, a harder covered ball, but with a softer core. And there are lots of options. Uh, talk to your PGA pro. So what about club selection? The grass is much thinner, Steve. We don't have the growth through winter, so your lie won't be as good. There'll be less grass under it. It'll be closer to the ground. I would suggest you keep, if you're looking at a, hitting a three-wood off the fairway, put that club away for the rest of the, the winter time and take your hybrid or five-wood if you've got one off the fairway just to make sure you get the leading edge under the ball and it gets up in the air. When you're around the greens, don't try anything fancy with your lob wedges. If you don't have to loft the ball in the air, take a hybrid or a long iron and just run it along the ground. Putter is another good option. I prefer the hybrid to run the ball up and we've talked about this, I know you and I a lot of times over the years, but it's a great golf club to make the ball top spin. Take the back spin off the ball the, the hybrid with the rounded face launches the ball without any backspin, so it runs better, runs further, you know, more truly through whatever you're running the ball through. So a hybrid running shot or a three or a four iron or a putter don't need to loft it because you can you can come a gutter with a with a lob wedge or something on a really tight lie really easily. What about the air itself? Does that, I mean, you know, I'm maybe overthinking it here, but the atmospherics, particularly for people who hit a, a long ball, is that going to make any difference when the ball's in the air? Yeah, it won't go as far, yeah. In, as soon as you take the ball out of the hole, put it in your pocket. Wear something with pockets. Girls, if you have a, 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 I guess you're not wearing skirts in the middle of Well, I'm winter, not. No, I'm not. I'm looking at you. Not these I, days, I, I anyway. I actually accidentally looked at you when I said that, Stephen, but find something to wear that has pockets. Put the golf ball in. Even the, the hand warmers. You know those old-fashioned yep. hand warmers? Put one of those in your pocket and put the ball in next to that so the ball is warm when you tee it up. Once you've hit it, of course, you can't do that. In fact, at the moment with COVID, a lot of golf courses, in fact, most golf courses are preferred lie. So you can actually lift it and hold it in your hand for a second until it's your turn to hit. So as soon as you get to your ball, pick it up, put it in your pocket, wait till it's your turn to hit, put it back down and prefer your lie and hit. I've yeah. just thought of that then. It's just off the cuff. That's a great tip, Larry. It really is.
Thank you for that. Pleasure, playing, Stephen. Playing in winter. Think about those things yeah, when next don't time you wear a skirt. For goodness' sake. No, well, no, 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 no. Yeah, not you, Buncey's wearing one now. <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, uh, it wouldn't be backspin if you didn't have a little spit about something. And today, it's a certain American golfer who's been performing well of recent times. But you're not a fan. Why? Well, I, I want to be. Steve. Who are we talking about? We're talking about Daniel Berger. The American tour player who came to... Well, he came to prominence when he first started the tour. He was Rookie of the Year in his first year. He's a wonderful player. He's only young. He's, he's very 27, young. Yes, yes if that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very young. Very good record in collegiate golf leading up to turning pro. Funky golf swing. Weird looking action, but um, it, it clearly works. Hits the ball a long way. But his attitude is, is, is somewhat wanting for me. And, and I don't like... I, I definitely didn't like the way he spoke about uh, his position and America's position in the President's Cup in 2017 when it was being played in New York at the golf course. I can't remember Liberty Golf Course. It's just it, it's built literally on the on the harbour in New York. There, yeah. Berger said, "I mean, our goal from the minute we got here was to crush them as bad as we can. I hope that we can close them out today and we go out there tomorrow and beat them even worse." Now, this came on top of a really controversial week of President's Cup in uh, in New York where, they, where the American spectators were being horrible to the international players. Mm. Um, and in fact, there's, a, there's quite a famous retort in, in, in form of a tweet from Audrey Leishman, Mark Leishman's wife, who was seeing the abuse her husband was getting. And, and it's a very long quote, but at the end she says, I'm just so glad I didn't take my kids to that event. Yeah. So Berger's response, which I've just said, was right in the firing line of all this controversy that was going on. So it was really badly worded, really badly said. And if you try and Google it, and I've tried to Google it a few times, you can't see the audio anymore. They've taken it off. Right, yeah. So this is the same guy that's now won the first event. And when he was in that playoff, Colin Murakawa, you know, I was just pulling for him so much because he's such a nice young man. And I like nice, you know, and call me whatever you like, but you can be outspoken, you can have an opinion, as long as you're not offensive to people. And Berger has been, in my opinion, offensive. Well, can we give him the benefit of the doubt, do you think? Number one, how many years ago was that? Yeah, it's three years three ago. Three years ago, so he was, what, 23, 24, yep, yep. and he was obviously fired up at the mm. time as well. Maybe he's changed. Maybe he's seen the error of his ways. Let's hope. Yeah. Yeah, and, and from oh, look, I've seen a few interviews since, the ones that they haven't taken off. <laughs> they're, they're all fine. They're all okay. Yeah. Or right. maybe he's just learned his lesson, but uh, yeah, there's no room for that. The President's Cup, we saw the 2019 one, there was all sorts of, you know, nit- 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 what's the word? Uh, vitriolics. There were all sorts of vitriolics, you know, w- with Patrick Reed after what had happened a couple of weeks earlier in, in the Bahamas when he preferred his law. Well, you know, he moved the sand, but yes. let's not go down that path. Yeah. So President's Cups, Ryder Cups, the Ryder Cup's coming up. That's actually been put off till next year. But, you know, we will see this again. And, it, you know, if it's in America, let's just hope. Yeah, be nice. Yeah, be nice, people. Isn't and, that, you, you can you can fire up. And if you can't be nice, be quite nice. You know who get it right? Yeah. You know who get it right? The um the, the crazy golf uh, community that follows the the tour around the the fanatics. Yes. They get it right. They get it right. They're good fun. They know how to do it. They do know. They can take the all well, the piss. We can say that on on, our, on inside golf. I think we're all adults without being offensive. It's just good fun. Yeah. Buncey does it all the time. Buncey is famous for it. Absolutely famous for being nice. No vitriol whatsoever. And a little bit of naughtiness thrown in there as well Let's for good be measure. Naughty. That sums up Andrew Bunce and that sums up backspin for this time around, I think. <laughs> you've, you've just told the world Andrew's surname, so. Uh, oh, sorry. There'll be stalkers. There'll <laughs> yeah. be. Should we throw an address in as well? Stalkers of the, fem- <laughs> stalkers of the female persuasion. <laughs>
going online to check this bloke out. Don't do it. Just and it will, it will be well worth it, let me tell you. Larry, thank you for that. Good on you, Steve. Thanks, mate. This has been Backspin. Thanks to Inside Golf. And we will uh, catch up with you again very soon. <laughs>